Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. How's it going? Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. If this is your first episode, welcome. You picked a good one. We are launching our series called Accelerating Ag Tech. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a proud part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. That is a network of ag podcasters and bloggers and vloggers that all contribute over there at farmruralag.com. Go over there and check it out. So here we are. This is our series called Accelerating Ag Tech. If you haven't heard, we are going to be profiling at least 10 different startups in this series and looking at where they are in their development, what problem they solve, what customer they serve, but also with a twist. But wait, there's more what accelerator program they have gone through and what that accelerator program has able to do to overuse the word to accelerate their growth. And so we have selected startups and accelerators from all around the world, about half of which are are in the U.S., but the other half of which are, are in other countries. And we're going to have a normal Future of Agriculture interview with each of the startups, then get kind of their take on how the accelerator has helped. Then on our follow-up Friday episodes, we're going to get to talk uh, for five minutes or so with the accelerator themselves to learn about their program and how their program is different. And this whole concept was kind of started festering in my brain when I had a conversation with today's guests a few months ago. Uh, Sarah Nolette is a globally recognized food systems innovation expert. Uh, She's a systems thinker with an understanding of the complexities of the food system, and she brings a visionary yet pragmatic approach. Uh, This is right off her bio on her website, but I promise it's also true. (laughs) She is committed to results and works across the global food system supply chain, helping farmers, agribusinesses, universities, investors, and entrepreneurs to achieve their goals. So uh, in addition to all of that, she has some phenomenal resources for startups in agriculture. Sarah is over in Australia, but she is from the US. She has a master's degree from MIT in systems design and management and uh, a certificate of sustainability uh, from the Sustainability Initiative at MIT Sloan, which is their business school. So uh, Sarah is extremely fascinating. She grew up in the Silicon Valley. Uh, her dad was an entrepreneur. She got into, obviously, you know, science and engineering and design, um, and then from there into agriculture. So brings a very, very unique perspective, and there is nobody I can think of more knowledgeable about building kind of innovation hubs or innovation eco, innovation ecosystems, as you'll hear us talk about it uh, on the episode today. But anyway, this is going to be a fantastic kickoff to Accelerating Ag Tech. I'm super excited about the startups we're going to feature. But before we do, let's have this broad conversation about what this means, what accelerator 
mean? Why we need to profile these startups? We get into all of that in quite a bit more with Sarah. I'll let you take it from here. Uh, this is Sarah Nolet from Agthentic. Check them out at agthentic.com. Sarah's going to start the interview by launching into right into her background, kind of what led her to starting Agthentic. I guess I was looking at agriculture um, and, and ag tech more broadly um, because I was really fascinated by the potential of technology and, and entrepreneurship to solve a lot of problems. Um, and what I started to see was a gap between ag and ag tech. So a lot of technologies being developed that weren't solving problems and, you know, drones for a while were an example of that um, sort of technology push instead of meeting a real demand. And so in thinking about how to close that gap is, is really how I created or why I created Agthentic. Um, and so we, yeah, we look to kind of connect ag and ag tech to make sure that technologies are solving real problems and users are um, ready and excited to adopt um, because they have, you know, problems that technology can solve. Um, so just creating a bit more of that connectivity between those, those two worlds. Nice. And it, it seems like right now it's like, oh, that's so obvious. That's such a problem. The, the huge gap between ag tech and, and farmers or, or whoever they're trying to sell it to in the ag industry. But I would bet back when you kind of first started this and you first had that idea, maybe it wasn't so obvious. Uh, yeah. What kind of uh, what what propelled you to say, yeah, I think there's enough here to actually create a business around? Yeah, it probably like wasn't that well thought out um, at the time. I mean, so I, I wrote my master's thesis on um, corporate venture capital and venture capital in, in agriculture. And so um, it was a great way as an MIT student to get a chance to call um, a bunch of investors and understand kind of what was happening in the space. And I think that's really what led me down this path was hearing investors talk about the challenges and opportunities of investing in ag tech. And kind of how they were so excited about it, but deal flow was sometimes missing the mark or there were lots of needs for intervention or why ag was different or how hard it was to sell the story of sustainability or find companies doing that. So there was a bunch of kind of challenges that came out and that was what really got me thinking. Um, and then similarly, I had done some work on the ag side. So I spent time consulting in Iowa and some time researching in, in India actually. And so spending more time with farmers and hearing their view and hearing that they weren't even thinking or hearing about the same things you would in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts around accelerators and incubators and things was like, oh, there's kind of two different worlds evolving. And the fact that there aren't as many, um, you know, great companies getting funded, there's probably a gap here. And I know, you know, you have uh, spent a lot of time on farms, you know, visiting directly with producers. And obviously, as you just mentioned, have this background with really understanding the venture capital and the investment side of things. Uh, it seems to me the typical narrative is that, okay, um, you know, very talented group of founders starts a company that has this really exciting technology, but they've never once sort of talked to a farmer or understood their customer at all. And, and I, I've heard that sort of narrative or kind of halfway complaint a lot. I guess what I haven't heard, and I'm wondering if you have an example of this, is there been anything on the other side where you're actually like kind of surprised that farmers haven't adopted a technology that you think actually shows a lot of promise and, you, and you're sort of surprised it hasn't got more widespread adoption. H have you experienced anything like that? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say um, there's a bunch of so I was just running workshops last week in regional Australia and um, we did a bit of a survey on technologies. And so we put up like <laughs> the least high tech tech survey. Um, so, so we had like a poster board with a bunch of technologies, everything from 
Google suite, like, you know, Gmail and, and Google Sheets to Twitter, to Facebook, to some of the ag tech companies that we've seen with some traction in Australia. Um, and yeah, some like, like auto drafters for sheep, you know, some kind of on-farm technologies. And so then we had the, um, farmers come in with stickers, like little stars and mark which ones they were using. So yeah, Hmm. not very high tech. Um, but it was really interesting to see kind of how little adoption there are of even things like Google suite or like kind of productivity tools and like business tools that, you would think might be more well adopted. Um, And so I think that's coming and there's obviously a huge range, but I think my sense recently has been a lot of the enabling conditions or enabling technology um, isn't there. And so that makes this whole data interoperability much, much harder um, because so few things are digitized and data is not standardized. And these are things we hear about all the time, but um, it was really, I think, helpful to see like how much is is can still be paper based and therefore how hard it is when you have part of you know the business is quite high tech but the farm isn't or the farm is but some of the back office stuff isn't like you can't get them to talk to each other and that just creates frustration and and um, a huge barrier so maybe maybe that was kind of an insight around not so much startup technologies but some of the more um, kind of baseline business technologies there's a huge range in adoption of, of those kinds of products. That's a really interesting insight, especially I think it was either last week or the week before I saw a tweet and I won't say who it, who it was from, but uh, somebody in the sort of farm software business, I saw a tweet that basically is, was calling out an ag publication for writing an article about how to use spreadsheets saying like, wow, you, you know, kind of indicating it was so beyond, behind the times and that farmers were already on to more advanced software. Um, and that little insight would, would actually indicate that's not true and that there's still quite a few farmers that maybe have some, some basic, you know, business productivity tools that, that, uh, maybe they could use help onboarding. Yeah. Look, I think there's a huge range and, and probably Excel, um, is the like most widely adopted. And I think that's backed up by a lot of the, um, work we've done with ag tech companies and, and talking to them, but, um, you know, things like hopping on, you know, webinars or integrating the accounting software with the email tools and having a CRM to manage, you know, potential people you're selling livestock to or whatever, right? Like there's some, um, that kind of thing that has surprised me a few times. I guess the other area to, to go back to your first question is um, some of the water monitoring stuff here in Australia. I think there's been some good tools um, in that space. And it's been really interesting to see in some conversations, everyone's like, yep, we have that. We're using it. It's solved. And in other conversations, people are like, I've never heard of that. That would be amazing. Can we have it? And so I think maybe the insight is there's just huge, um, like the market's really fragmented and segmented. And so um, some of the technologies are really widely adopted in some areas or with some groups or some production systems that just could be really useful in others, but they have it hasn't gotten there yet. And that's always really interesting to see. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, I want I want to get into um, uh, kind of some the the core the core meat of of uh, what we're going to talk about here today, which is accelerators. And for for the audience's benefit, uh, Sarah and I spoke a, a couple months ago, I think, about um, you know she has a podcast that, that I'm sure we'll get to talk about a little bit later too um, in, in my podcast, and just kind of comparing notes and started talking about accelerators, and that's where this whole idea kind of started with me percolating of of doing a whole series on 
ag tech accelerators and, and not so much on the accelerators themselves, but the companies that come out of them and, and sort of their experiences with the various accelerators. So uh, it was very fitting to bring Sarah on because she has uh, sort of the, I don't know if you'd say this, Sarah, but but I'll say it, the authority when it comes to um, kind of early stage um ag tech companies and, uh, and especially the resources that, that they can use. So can you talk about, I know you have one resource in particular, Sarah, so maybe talk about that and kind of how you all approach that every year. Yeah, sure. So we, um, and thank you for the compliment, not sure that's true. Um, but so we have a, uh, database of, um, accelerators, incubators, prizes, pitch competitions, and venture development organizations. Um, so essentially a bunch of like seven different resources for early stage startups in food and ag. And this came out of actually my master's thesis a few years ago when I said, oh, this space is growing and there are a ton of like ag and food specific resources. And I wonder if anyone's ever mapped them. And there were a couple websites with a couple people that had a few of them, but nothing comprehensive and nothing that was really kept updated. So we partnered with AgFunder and, and um, collected that data and put it out. Um, and so there were about 70 at that time. It was about two years ago, just over two years ago. And now there's over 150 of them. Um, and so these are, yeah, different kind of models for how um, startups get support. And some look very different in ag than they do in tech and some don't. Um, but basically a, a growing landscape of, of different kinds of resources that are specifically helping startups in, in food and ag. 150 seems like a lot. Does it feel like we're getting saturated or, or am I, am I thinking too small here? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, it's very geographical. Um, and so we're starting to see certain, um, kind of ecosystems plateau. Um, so like Australia is a good example, which I know well, um, about two years ago, there was the first accelerator had just been launched. Um, and now there are seven, so that shows a huge growth in this space. And there's definitely at least feeling on the ground of we don't need another pitch competition. We don't need another prize. We we need, you know, to get on with building these companies. Um, but, you know, two years ago, that wasn't true. So it changes quite quickly. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's not really a question of how many maybe of quality and performance. Um, and the other thing that, that we talk a lot about is business model, like the just the business model of an accelerator or an incubator um, and vibe like um, utility for a startup. So there's a couple different factors to consider. And I think I would start with those before just the pure number of them. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit. I'm sure there's at least one person out there thinking, what the heck is an accelerator? (laughs) What are these people talking about? It sounds like some, you know, back to the future type machine. Um, So let's back up here for just a little bit, I guess. And let me ask you, uh, what is at, at a basic level, what's an accelerator? Who is it designed for and what's it designed to do? Sure. So basically, these are um, businesses that started in the kind of software technology world, um, but have since grown to every sector. And they're made for startups. So startups are the user of these, and they're generally pretty early stage startups. So they might have um, kind of two or three people on the team, um, and maybe a bit of funding or a bit of, um, you know, few customers, but they're not like really on the, they're not huge businesses by any means at this point. Um, and the, it's a program essentially where they take in applications and they usually accept a group of say eight companies, um, which is called a cohort. And then they provide that cohort with support over usually sort of 12 weeks, um, in ag that timeline tends to be longer. Um, but they give them sort of training and a network of mentors, um, and, and access to different, you know, resources and support and, and guidance in helping them build 
that business. Um, and they also give them often, but not always a bit of cash. So an actual investment, um, in exchange for often, but not always a bit of equity. Um, and then at the end of that, um, accelerator program, there's usually a big, uh, what they call a demo day where the startups get on stage and they give a pitch and the audience is usually investors. And the point of that day is, is hopefully quite transactional to get those startups funding from those investors. That was a fantastic. This is why you're on the show, because if I was trying to introduce this concept, <laughs> I would be all over the place and would not be that succinct. Um, so I assuming that there is a couple, uh, you know, a couple gals out there and they're in a garage and they've got a software and they think, boy, farmers are going to love this software because it's just going to transform their business. But we don't really know kind of how to take it from um, what we've built here in our garage out and into the world. And now just a quick word from our Sustainability at Scale series sponsor, Marone Bio Innovations. Hey, ever heard of Marone's Bio with Bite? Marone Bio Innovations offers modern crop pest protection for the modern organic and conventional production systems. To make sure every grower using their products realize the best possible return on investment, Marone invests time and resources to thoroughly test and demonstrate the efficacy of those new state-of-the-art products. With serious trial data to back it up, you can see more and connect directly with Marone by visiting them at www.maronebio.com. That's M-A-R-R-O-N-E-B-I-O.com. Thank you so much to Marone Bio Innovations for sponsoring this Sustainability at Scale series. Uh, first of all, it sounds like good potential clients for Acthentic, but, but second of all, how would they know if they're right for an accelerator? I know all accelerators are different, but you know, generally speaking, what types what types of criteria are these accelerators looking for? Yeah, so they're um, pretty similar in most cases, um, and your point is a good one about there being different models. But in most cases, to, they're pretty similar to sort of seed stage investors. So they're looking for some combination of team technology and traction. So they want to see that the team is a good one. They have good founder dynamics between them, that they um, potentially have a track record of um, either operating in a, in a company and, and um, having success there or starting other businesses. Um, so there's some metrics on team. And then around traction, like do they have customers? Do they have a product that's somehow been validated in the market? Some users have said, yes, we want this or ideally are actually paying for it. Um, and then the technology, like do they have some kind of competitive advantage in, in the technology or do they at least have a product um, that they've built and show ability to, to actually develop that product? Um, so that's kind of the classic framing is, is team technology and traction. Accelerators tend to be targeting companies who at the end of the program will be ready to raise money. So that demo day tends to be quite a big focus where the team comes in, really works over the, the core of the program to get ready to pitch and show that they've increased traction. Um, so they've gotten more customers or more revenue or more validation from the market over that time period. Um, and that they're ready to kind of pitch at the end. So that's the kind of generic accelerator case. I would say there's some differences in, in ag for sure. Some of the ag tech accelerators are taking companies that are a bit later um, so that they you know, might be 
just a bit further along in that journey, they might be looking less for money and more for kind of networks and connections into, say, industry or potential acquirers or farmers as customers. Um, Some of them might be completely less focused on pitching and much more on um, like getting the getting that customer validation, like connecting with farmers for trials. Some of them are connecting the corporates for partners. So there's like a big caveat here on each one is different. And I think for a startup, that's like my number one advice when I get asked this question is what does your team need and want? Um, Because it can be quite, um, I guess, sexy or there can be some pressure to join an accelerator and get that kind of brand validation. Like, oh, we went through this program and we were selected, Um, but it might not be the right thing for the business. And so figuring out what your business actually needs and what any particular accelerator programs can provide and have provided in the past is, is really important. Very cool. Yeah, I, th- I think that is true where, where there is some sort of validation that comes with, hey, I went through XYZ Accelerator. I know I've talked to people who said, oh, I, yeah, I went through y-, y Combinator, which is the big kind of tech one. And so I'm like, oh, wow, you know, I don't know anything about their business, but I'm already impressed. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't I didn't think about that, but that is true. In ag, like your customer base often doesn't know about that at all. Like like you said, it's not always clear what an accelerator is. Um, and so interesting to think about who you're looking for that like who you want to show that validation to potentially to investors can be quite good in that you've been through this program and been de-risked somehow. Um, but from a customer perspective, likely not that useful in agriculture. Right. What about incubators? I know there there's accelerators and then there's incubators, but I don't know really the difference between the two. Yeah. And, and the lines get blurred all the time and, and I'm probably too, I don't know, pedantic about the whole thing, but <laughs> the way we think about it or we define it is incubators um, tend to be, more of a, um, like have an infrastructure component. So they have a lab or they have physical space. Um, so that's kind of one difference, whereas accelerators can be entirely remote. They're often not, but they can be. Um, so you don't actually always have to be in the same place, whereas an incubator tends to be more of a physical, um, place that you're in. And then, um, the other thing is, whereas I said, an accelerator has like a cohort. So there's an acceptance process. They get picked at a certain time. They start on day one, they end on day whatever it is. And then they have this kind of exit of a, during a demo day, incubators are much more fluid. So you might have companies come in and leave. They might stay for six months. They might stay for nine. They might stay for three. Um, so there's no kind of cohort or fixed program that they're going through from kind of step one to step two. Um, it's much more of that kind of infrastructure support. So access to, yeah, a lab facility or testing or, you know, things like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. The, the programmatic aspect where um, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, accelerators are all going to have a program and, and maybe an incubator kind of hop on, get what they need, and I guess hop off. Yeah, that's right. And, and incubators are often connected to universities. So we see a lot of, because the universities would have a physical space, they would have kind of lab infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They might have trial plots or fields or, you know, um, you know, bio labs or ways to do testing, things like that. So that tends to be attractive for startups because they can get access to those resources for lower cost by joining the incubator. Sure. Yeah. Could you give us a, an example, either generically or specifically, whichever you'd like of uh, what uh, uh, the transformation might look like for a startup that goes through an effective accelerator program? 
one of the companies that went through um, uh, accelerator program here in Australia last year uh, essentially raised money at the end. So it achieved that purpose to a T. Um, so they came in with some deep technology, um, some some uh, IP around cameras and how to take imagery. And um, they went through the process of talking to tons of customers. They got validation. They refined the business model. They practiced pitching. They got access to a bunch of mentors that were investors or um, you know, expert consultants in the industry or um, other successful founders. And then towards the end of the program, they actually followed up with some of those investor contacts and ended up raising um, capital. So they didn't do it at the demo day. They did it just before. But the value of the program was a, a bit of rigor around what the process was that they needed to go through to get that validation and then B, connections to investors so that C, they could actually close that funding round. Um, so that's like a pretty, I'm not, not typical in the sense that everyone raises money, but typical in the sense of the value proposition of the accelerator. Other ones, like I said, might not focus on funding, but it might be more, you've been introduced to 10 people and two of which are actual contacts at, um, a big potential customer, um, you know, a corporate agribusiness or, a um, a retailer or someone that, you know, you needed to get connected to that you otherwise just by kind of looking at their website and finding it on LinkedIn, wouldn't have been able to. So mm. you've actually built a relationship with a potential strategic customer or, or acquirer. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I think that that is so invaluable. It's it's difficult when starting anything new to kind of cold reach out to people, the right people, and just kind of strike up a relationship from, from zero. Uh, so that would be extremely helpful to get that sort of facilitated relationships because really critical. Um, yeah. And I think especially in ag, like to your point before about founders who maybe have some technology, but haven't interviewed any farmers, I think that's happening much less now. And, mm. and probably to some extent, the accelerators or other support resources more broadly get a bit of credit for that in that if you're a tech founder out of a lab at at MIT or Harvard, and you've you've found some cool thing, but you want to figure out whether it's useful or not. Some of these programs, especially those that explicitly connect you to farmers or to agribusiness, or give you a chance to be in St. Louis or Memphis or Iowa or somewhere that you otherwise wouldn't go with any kind of network, mm -hmm. you can then show up there, get introduced to people who can really help you understand does this matter, um, and get a huge leg up. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned a couple of U.S. cities there, and I know uh, us Americans tend to get tunnel vision on what's happening in the U.S. and and kind of forget to consider what's happening around the world. I know you are a bit of a world traveler yourself, and now you live in Australia full time. And I know you've traveled to South America and other places. Um, are there any uh, outside of Australia in the U.S. any towns that are kind of budding ag tech hubs or any cool accelerators that maybe are a bit off of the radar? Yeah, I would say the two that get talked about. Um, so there, there's some around the world. Um, I would say every continent has one minus Antarctica. Um, but the two that get talked about a lot are Israel. Um, so Israel has really kind of punched above their weight in terms of ag tech, um, in terms of the technologies that they've been developing, in terms of the infrastructure, sort of government support for incubators and, and different accelerator programs and funding um, for ag tech specifically and a bit for food tech as well. Um, and then the other one, I think New Zealand is doing a really good job there. Um, ag is a huge industry for them. And so it's been a strong focus of the government in New Zealand as well. And they've come out with um, some great programs, you know, consistent delegations to the U.S., looking at other countries, um, other areas, you, you know, Europe, there's there's work in London, there's work in the Netherlands, Ireland has come online. Um, and then I would say most recently, like the kind of big change we saw in the last 
year, I would say, is is really Asia coming more online. So mm. there's an accelerator in China called Bits and Bytes. Um, there's, I think, two new accelerators going in in Singapore. There's a pitch competition there for ag and food. There's another kind of award competition. So Asia has really come online as well. Um, so yes, very much a global phenomenon. Fantastic. Yeah. No, it's uh, really, really interesting. I, I especially the Israel. I'd, I'd heard of that just in in the tech the tech scene that is coming out of Israel. I hadn't heard about the ag tech specifically, so that's really yeah. It's it's a funny thing about living outside of the country. Like I um, had a lot of U.S. you know just focus too when I was in the states, but when you're not in a big country, especially, or a country that is like so well known for something, there's so much more emphasis on looking at other models elsewhere to figure out what you should do and who you should learn from. Mm. And so I've spent probably the last two years in Australia looking at other countries to figure out, right, what should Australia do? And then starting to look more internally to Australia to say, right, what are the competitive advantages of Australia? Who cares what anyone else is doing? What can we uniquely do here? And that's something that is not doesn't tend to be a process that the U.S. goes through because they're, they're we're sort of big enough and ahead enough um, that we don't do as much of that. So that's been interesting for me to have to look at at other countries and and really learn what else is going on. And I'll be the first to admit I I fall into it too. You sort of get complacent where you're just like, oh, this is you know there's some really good stuff right here. So let's just explore that. Um, I know there and again here I go getting U.S. centric again, but I know I know there's at least here there's accelerators that are. Um, somehow affiliated with large agribusinesses like, uh, you know, Rabobank's involved, Alltech, uh, Cargill, and there's several others. It, are, should that even be a consideration if a company's considering an accelerator? And, and I guess why or why not? Very much goes back to the needs of any particular company. Like there's no one size fits all model. I think if you're looking to get connected with that um, particular corporation or a corporation like that, it can be a good fit. Um, so I've seen that a lot with the banks. Like it can be hard to find an in to a bank, but you might have a product that you think can help with financing somehow or insurance or, or something in that space, but it's hard to figure out who do you talk to in a massive organization like a bank. So joining a, an accelerator program or some kind of innovation challenge tied to that company can be helpful to figure out, right, are they interested in this? Who are the right people to be talking to? Can I get them on my team to sort of promote what I'm doing, um, help with more validation? So that can be a really good reason to do it. Um, They might be hooking you up. Like I know Rabobank's Terra program is meant to explicitly connect companies with corporates for trials, like to help them do that validation, to help them figure out, can it be a strategic fit um, between the startup and the corporation? I would say the other side of that is, you know, be wary of, of, a, IP, like who owns what and are you going to um, be able to stay independent? B, all the normal caveats around taking investment from a corporation uh, apply. Like if you're potentially limiting your exit potential because you have them as an investor or maybe not, like there's a bunch of kind of nuances of when you should and shouldn't or do or don't uh, want to be involved or tied to a big company, especially in ag, um, given, you know, issues, trust issues around data and um, and all of that. So I think each company is different and it depends, but if that is, uh, if connecting to a big company is something that is of strategic importance to your startup, then an accelerator incubator can be a good way or pitch competition or prize even better if there's no equity on the table and it's just more on the marketing side can be a good way to do that. Um, assuming that it is, yeah, going to pan out. You, you don't want to just get caught up with the marketing department rather than actually getting into the core business unit that you, that you want to be associated with. 
And Sarah, you just threw out a bunch of kind of potential avenues you you could go. And I know a great starting place would be, you know, the resources that you all put out at at Agthentic. Talk to us a little bit about kind of what you all do other than just give away all this very valuable information. But what what do you all do as a business? Who are your target clients? Yeah, it's a good question Um, (laughs) and something that's rapidly evolving. So the way I tend to explain it is... um, we, on one side, do sort of strategy consulting and industry development. So we work with bigger players, so um, federal government, state government, um, agribusinesses, industry bodies, large grower groups, um, so folks like that to help them kind of understand this startup and technology landscape, understand how they might get involved, um, and help to kind of build that ag tech ecosystem, just because I'll throw out some more consulting buzzwords for you, um, but help to build that kind of... I love ecosystem. That one has not that one has not gotten cliche for me yet. I'll, I'll use ecosystem all the time. Yeah, there we go. I like it. Um, so yeah, kind of help to build this ecosystem where ag and ag tech can connect and, and farmers can be involved and so can agribusinesses and so can startups and researchers. Um, so we do a lot of that kind of like industry development and strategy consulting work. Some of that work looks like pretty traditional management consulting, but a lot of it looks pretty implementation heavy. So we'll actually run programs on behalf of our clients, um, which is why I was, for example, running a bunch of workshops for sheep um, growers or wool growers, um, sheep farmers in regional Australia last week. Um, So that was like part of a project to help an industry body think about how they would engage with their farmer members. Um, so we do stuff that's much more kind of executional instead of just strategic. Hmm. Um, so that's the kind of strategy consulting industry development side. And then we also have a growth advisory um, side where we work directly with startups. So that looks like often help around strategy, international expansion, capital raising, et cetera. Um, it's funny because what I found quite early is I wanted to work with startups, but startups don't have money and I don't want to take money from people who don't have it. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's a pretty crap business model. <laughs> um, so we try to build longer term relationships with a small number of, of high potential startups and help them over a long period of time um, as, you know, either advisors are really being quite operational on their team. So kind of interim COO type of work um, and tend to align incentives that way. Yeah, by being on their team, not kind of doing a short project. Right on. And then, of course, you have the Bush Tech podcast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we. it's funny. I think a lot of the things that people um, maybe have heard of us or know me for are things we don't get paid for. <laughs> so, uh, same. So, same with me. Yeah, trust me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we have, yeah, we have a podcast called Bush Tech, which is awesome and has been a ton of fun. Um, and you will have to come on as a guest for sure. And then we, we run like meetups in Sydney. So we run the Sydney Ag Tech Meetup. Um, we have a bunch of blogs and tools and resources. We have a database of ag tech and food tech startups all over Australia. Um, we're partners with a company in London called Crowdfooding that has a global database of food tech and ag tech startups. Um, We do a bunch of writing and we have the resources tool um, on all the accelerators and incubators. So that's stuff that we've found just or like wanted to exist in the world and um, so have had fun making exist and, and hopefully has been helpful. Cool. Well, uh, Australia has become in 2018 my second most downloaded country. It's it's actually above Canada now, uh, which I don't know where that came from other than the fact that we've had some phenomenal Australian guests on. Um, so if for a long time, the first year and a half of this podcast, it was very clear, like obviously US one and then Canada two, and then Australia was da- Australia, UK and Brazil were kind of down below that. But here lately, I've just had some really phenomenal guests on from Australia and that has uh, boosted our presence in the country. So I, I, I'm hoping for one day to have a chance to come down there and maybe we can do that podcast in person. 
Yes, definitely. You have to come. There's so much going on here and everyone would love to hear from you. And like I've told you before, I think you need to expand um, the recruiting into Australia too, because there's so much need for especially the ag tech side, but the ag side too, um, just to get more good people in this industry. I think it's so important and, and love the work that you're doing. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a lot of fun, just just an enjoyable conversation, but I think it's going to make for a really, really great episode and a great start to the Accelerating Ag Tech series. So uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you directly, either to foster their own ecosystem of innovation, or if they just want to uh, kind of touch base on anything that we talked about today, how can they reach out to you? If they want to learn some more buzzwordy jargon. Um, <laughs> no, I, so I'm um, SV. Knowles on Twitter, S-V-N-O-L-E-S, or Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at agthentic.com. Happy to, yeah, hear from anyone and help. And our resources tool is uh, resources.agthentic.com, and those are all free and available and and, um, definitely have a look. Hopefully it can be useful to any startups out there. Hey, hope you enjoyed that interview with Sarah Nolet of Agthentic. Check them out at agthentic.com. If there is a question about any of the topics discussed here, uh, I didn't get a chance to ask Sarah. Uh, you can get your chance to ask her. Head over to speakpipe.com forward slash future of ag. Record an introduction of yourself. Ask your question. I'll get it to Sarah. We'll get you on a future episode of follow up. Friday. Hope you've been been enjoying those. I know they're they're short, and we're kind of feeling our way through what that looks like and how we can add the most value to the episodes themselves. But I'm really excited about where it is going. One request I have: they say in podcasting, you know, you're supposed to end with a call to action, get a request, ask them to do something. And you know what? My my ask of you as we start this series on accelerating ag tech is if you could just find somebody that you know, think of the most entrepreneurial person you know in agriculture or that is interested in agriculture and also happens to be entrepreneurial, and and just tell them about this show. The chances are they don't know about it. I'm not good at marketing it, um, but just let them know about it and. Say say, hey, you should check out this Accelerating Ag Tech series. It might even give you guys something to talk about over a beer. So thanks so much for listening. This is just the beginning. Uh, We'll be back next week with more Accelerating Ag Tech. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com That's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.